So awesome. They didn't play long enough. There's still a long line. You are good. Yeah. I might discourage the giving. Wow. How many of you, tonight, um, when Banny was praying for money, you were, you, and he asked, how many of you need a breakthrough in your finances? Raise your hand. How many of you need a breakthrough in your finances? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> What's up with you guys? <laughs> Come on, Jesus. Make sure when you're praying for a blessing that you don't just pray for blessing. Make sure you pray for money. <laughs> All we need is a few more zeros. Have you thought of that? Just think about it. Like, like six more zeros would change your life. It's that simple. Maybe you should just write them in. Huh? Just write a check for it. You know, you know the Bible says you cast your bread on the water and many days it comes back from you. I don't think he was talking about bounce checks, though, but... How many of you are here for the leader's advance? Oh, my goodness. Wow. If you're here for the leader's advance, would you just stand up? I want our, I want our flock to pray for you. Stand up right here. Oh, that's good. Hey, um, okay... Those of you that are standing, raise your hand because I'm going to have our team just stand up around you in, in just a minute, so we're going to lose you. you can put your hand up if you're standing up. Um, everyone else, stand up and put your hand on them. Make sure that they have someone praying for them. I want you just to pray for them. I want you to pray for them. Some of you are going to have a prophetic word for them. Come on, let's get into it. I want us to take a few minutes for this. Woo! Someone just take the lead and just... We want to make sure that they leave pressed down, shaken together, and running out all over. Have no mercy on these people, God. Yeah, some of you have a prophetic word for them. Give them a prophetic word. We're going to take about two more minutes with this. So make sure that you just pray what the Holy Spirit puts on you to pray. They came here to just be totally filled up. And I want you to make sure that you give them what you got. Keep praying, keep praying. You're doing good. Some of you need to break out and give them a prophetic word. Make sure it's encouraging. Test it on yourself first. Yeah, there's some good prophetic ministry going on right now. If you have a word for them, go ahead and give them a word. Several of you have prophetic words for the leaders who are here. Make sure that you release that on them. Really powerful anointing in the room tonight. Okay, about one more minute, so just start wrapping it up in the next 60 seconds. All right. Go ahead and find your seats. Wow. All right, well, let's pray. Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing tonight. We thank you for what you're doing in our guests tonight. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, that they came here and they're never going to be the same. 
Lord, I pray that every single person who comes here as a visitor this week would totally get so intoxicated with the presence of God that they would have enough for their congregation, for their home, for the next year. Lord, we just pray for that. And Lord, we pray that you would cause there to be a prophetic vortex that every, every one of our guests would dream dreams, see visions. They would have angelic visitations. Lord, I just release that over them right now. You said freely we received and freely we give. And Lord, we freely give to all of our friends what it is that you gave to us for free, God. We just release that on them right now. And Lord, we pray that it would be more. It would be pressed down. It would be shaken together. It would be running out all over. Lord, that you would give them without measure, the Spirit without measure. Lord, I pray for them, those that are discouraged that you would encourage them. Lord, I pray that those that are depressed, that you would release joy on them. That you give them joy for mourning and a mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for their... I saw that, uh, on, our, I saw that on our guests that there was a spirit of reconciliation. I saw the Lord healing some of your churches, that there was division. And I saw the Lord melting you together as one. And, uh, and I saw uh, Him uh, healing families and, and, and division between husband and wife. And I just feel like this, uh, there's going to be some sort of theme in the life of our friends that there's a, there's a reconciling spirit on this house tonight. And Lord, we just pray for that. And Isaiah 60 says, Your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried in arms. And Lord, we pray for sons that are far away from God and daughters that are lost in the world. Lord, we pray right now that they would just begin to return home, that there would be phone calls, that there would be returns. Lord, we pray for that, that the children that have gotten somehow lost, Lord, that they would be found in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that prodigals would come home in the life of our guests, all of us, but especially in the life of our guests, that their prodigals would come home in the name of Jesus. Now, there's something really powerful going on in that right there. Just There's some sort of... Um, let me just ask our guests, if, you, if there's some sort of reconciliation needed, like you felt like that prayer was for you, uh, with our guests especially, would you just raise your hand? I don't know why, but I just felt, yeah, there's several, uh, good probably 15 or 20. Well, Lord, we just, we just say that this is... We say yes and amen to that tonight. Well, you know, I was thinking about um, just a few minutes ago when we started praying for our guests that the first time Danny, Danny and I went to Morningstar. Anyone ever been to Morningstar Ministries? Rick Joyner's Morningstar Ministries. Do you remember that? We went to Morningstar and uh, the, uh, we, Tracy Evans. How many of you know Tracy Evans? That woman, she's like, we're, gonna write, we're writing a book about her. So she's, she's amazing. And uh, first thing, one of, the, one of the things that happened is we went to Morningstar and Tracy said, hey, let's go out to um, Moravian Falls and just, there's supposed to be like angels out there and let's just, let's just go out there and see if we can see the angels. So we drove, well, we got lost, but it took us about six hours to get there. And um, uh, anyway, we get out there and we, we go to the lodge. There, there's a lodge there right on the Moravian Falls, right where Rick Joyner and all those guys live. And so... We go to this lodge, you remember this? We go to this lodge, and this guy comes out, and he goes, Hi, you guys are from Weaverville, aren't you? Because we were from Weaverville, and we were like, Yeah. He's like, I've been waiting for you. I mean, we just went there out of a whim. We didn't have any plan. We were waiting. Do you remember this? 
And so he goes, come on in. His name was Harry, remember? And we go in and we sit, we sit down and, and he starts telling us this story about how he was in ministry and how he crashed and, and we're sitting there and we're both looking at each other and then he says, don't ever let pride rule your life. And then he goes, well, I have to go back to work. And off he went and we're like, woo! And, <laughs> and then Bob Jones was there. And he was... And he was like, there's gold dust in here. And Danny was laying down on the ground. He, he was like, ooh. I think he was afraid, actually. He's laying down on the ground, and Bob Jones is going, there's gold dust in here. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, sure there is. I had the Thomas anointing on me that and I turned around to say to Danny, there's gold dust in here. And when I turned like that, there was gold dust in all the people. I said, Danny, get off the ground, dude. There's gold dust on people. <laughs> you remember that? It was like, it was one freaky thing after another. Man. It was, it was oh, that changed us, man. We got home and we were like, whatever we were. <laughs> Shoot, man. We moved from chickens to eagles when we... Or turkeys, or whatever we were before we got there. We got metamorphosized, man. It was amazing. So we just prayed that the testimony of Jesus would be the spirit of prophecy for all of our guests. Whatever you came for, we just pray you'd get it. And you'd get more than you came for. That's a good word right there. Well, I wanted to talk to you tonight about learning to think. <laughs> Not that it's needed. It's for, it's for other people. We can go home. We can talk to them about it. And, uh, you know, uh, you know one, one of the things that God wants for us is that we learn to think biblically. Come on. That's a good word right there. But how many of you know that the Bible, the Bible is not the best philosophy in the world? I said that in YWAM and I got so upset and one young man got up and rebuked me. See, there are better philosophies in the world than the Bible. You know why? Because God assumes... See, it's kind of like... It's like an automobile. Like, when the automobile manufacturers... When they manufacture a car, they assume that there will be gasoline. But how many of you know without gasoline, a car is not the best vehicle that there is? I mean, I'd rather have a bike than a car if there's no gasoline. Are you following me? And see, here's the struggle with the Bible. The, when, when God wrote the Bible, he assumed that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit to read it. Because if you're not full of the Holy Spirit, then the Bible is not the best philosophy because the Bible requires you to walk in, an, in a dimension. See, like, like give to, loving people who hate you doesn't work unless you have the Lord in you. When you love people that hate you and you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, what they do is use you as a doormat and run over you. See, the Bible assumes... How many of you know that like dying so you can live 
That doesn't make sense unless you have the resurrected Christ released in you. And my point is this, is that the Bible assumes that you will read it with insight from the Holy Spirit. Are you getting this? Because the truth is, is that the Bible's a locked book to people who don't know the Lord. <laughs> well, that's a good word right there. You know what happens when you read the Bible without the Holy Spirit? You turn the words in, of the Bible into a formula. And what happens, I'll, I'll watch people do this even in church. They end up, they end up taking the principles of the Bible... They teach people to live by principles, and what happens is they know so much that they don't need the prince anymore. You can be educated out of a relationship. <laughs> it's called formula Christianity. <laughs> okay, well, that was a good word. Some people are educated out of obedience. Like, they get to know so much about God that they don't even need God to know what God would do, so they don't have a relationship with God anymore. All they have a relationship with is the principles of the Bible. That's a good word right there. I had this dream about, this is probably a year and a half ago, I had this dream, and in this dream... I saw a man, and he was, he was uh, bottle-feeding a baby. And then this voice yelled from some place. I always have these dreams where a voice yells. I don't know why. But this voice yelled from some place, no more formula Christianity. And when he said, no more formula Christianity, the bottle blew up. And the scene changed. And the next scene I saw was a man breastfeeding a child. Now, you know how weird dreams are. But in the dream... See, these are non-prophetic people that are laughing. <laughs> when I told the staff, they all laughed too. But in the dream, in the dream, it wasn't sexual, it, and, and it felt totally normal. Do you know what I'm getting at? It's amazing because one of the one of the names for God means the multi-breasted one. And I saw I saw this man, and he was breastfeeding this child. And then this voice said, I never intended for my children to be nourished from something that wasn't a first assimilated by my leaders. And then he said, he said that nourishment and intimacy were supposed to be directly related. So that as people learned, they also grew closer to God. How many of you know that a lot of you can teach what you know, but you can only impart who you are? And so many people teach things that they've never experienced. <laughs> you know, when you teach something that you've never experienced, you're an echo and not a voice. And God wants us to not just articulate, but He wants us to actually replicate and you can you can make people think that they're they know a lot because they can repeat facts but how many of you know that the biblical biblical learning isn't repeating facts 
It's becoming, it's not remembering the word, it's becoming the word. Well, that's what I believe. John 15, one turn there and let's just talk about, I have some things to share that I've shared recently here, but I, um, I have some other stuff too. John 15, um, verse, we'll probably start from 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves. For a slave does not know, everybody say know, what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all things, everybody say all things, that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. I want to stop for just a minute and just say this. Um, one of the things that uh, one of the questions that I that I hear asked a lot of this house, especially to Bill when when we travel and and um, and you know and a lot of other houses that are are rising up, you know people talk about they'll say you know there's a real effect. I it was just uh, in Harrisburg and somebody just came up and talked to you about this. They said there's a real revelatory anointing on on Bethel. Like you guys share things. They said I read the same Bible that you read. I don't know how you how you guys get that stuff. And about, a, about six or seven months ago, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, like, there seems to be some kind of a revelatory anointing on several houses all throughout the earth right now. And I was, just, I was, I was meditating on what it takes to receive revelation. Like, what does it take to think from a revelatory spirit as opposed to just think from facts? What does it take to get below the, the you know... You can, you can go to the ocean and you can fish from a boat and you can say that you went to the ocean. But how many of you know that if you went skin diving, there's a whole other revelation? And, you know, there is, there's the kind of revelation that you get when you're fishing. It's kind of like out, out fishing and, and in the ocean and you pull up something from the deep and you go, this is amazing. But how many of you know that a skin diver has a whole other revelation of what's going on in the deep? And I feel like one of the things that the Lord wants to do on, in, in the church today is He wants to begin to release a spirit, a revelation, so that it isn't just a fish that we catch once in a while that we pull up and show somebody, look at what we got from the deep, but we're literally in the deep among the, you know, in my example, and we're actually seeing that, you know, when you pull something up from the deep, like you, you catch a fish from the deep, how many know, you may know something about that fish, but when you see that fish in its in its habitat, in its culture, there's a whole other revelation that happens when you see that fish in the context of the way it lives. And I feel like that is such a great example of what the Lord wants to release on us, that it isn't just that we're going to pull something up from the deep once in a while, but the Lord literally wants us to emerge us in the Word. And I'm not just talking about the pages of the Word. I'm talking about the living, active Word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword, that He wants to emerge us in the Word so that we begin to see the context in which truth is being developed and the culture that's actually releasing truth to, to this generation. And so, you know, I was thinking about, like, what is the difference between, you know, um, uh, 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 some people, um, they sit in our congregation uh, week after week, maybe in yours and uh, in different places, and they listen, they listen, they listen, and they can repeat. You know, they can repeat what's been shared on a Sunday, most of them, but they can't go get anything else for themselves. 
And I just started thinking about it. You know, it's, it's awesome that people are listening. They take notes. It's all good. Don't misunderstand me. But the goal isn't that you would just learn from the pulpit. But the goal is that you would learn how to scuba dive for yourself. I mean, the goal isn't that you would just come here and listen to Bill and go, that's amazing. The goal is that you would receive a revelatory anointing so that you could find that stuff for yourself in your relationship with God. See, a true teacher, he gave us some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. To do what? To equip the saints to do the work of service. A true teacher isn't somebody who teaches you all the facts of the Bible. A true teacher is somebody who gives you tools to find revelation for yourself. Are you with me? And I was thinking about what is it, like, what are some of the, what are some of the keys that release revelation on people. And I think that one of the most powerful ones that I've been seeing lately is that Jesus said this, I no longer call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I call you friends for all things, everybody say all things, all things I've heard from the Father have made known to you. Do you notice that revelation comes from an identity change, a relational context change with Christ Himself? That when we move from slavery, and that is, you know, the core, highest core value of slavery is obedience, when we move from learning how to obey to actually learning how to, to, to dream with God, we move from, from be, information, knowledge being withheld from us to moving into a revelatory spirit. Listen, I don't know if you got that. Here's one of the main keys to being able to go into the deep. That you move from slavery in your relationship to God to friendship. Because the day that you move from slavery, a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I now call you friends for all things I've heard from the Father I've made known to you. How many of you know that the day that you move into friendship, you move into a spirit of revelation? So many people are locked out of the deep things of God because they still have a slave relationship with God. Now, how many of you know that Romans says this, that we were slaves to sin and we become slaves to God. We become slaves to righteousness. Do you know that when we first received Jesus, the first level of relationship with God is slavery? Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves. That means at one point he did. When we come to Christ, we come as a son, but, we're, but we're, we're a son who's a slave, aren't we? And what we learn to do in the first level of life is we learn how to do what we're told. Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves. Well, let me just read this to you. Listen to this. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you to do. How do you get from slavery to friendship? Well, there's no such thing as this friend who doesn't know how to do what he's told. Follow me. How do you move from slavery into friendship? The first thing you have to do is you have to learn how to do what you're told. If you don't know how to obey, you stay in slavery your whole life. You never move beyond slavery because Jesus said, I call you friends if you, know, if you do what I command you to do. What's the point? Some people never move out of slavery because they're disobedient slaves. And Jesus said, I'm not going to let you be a friend until you become a good slave. I shared this story the other day, but I think it bears repeating. Um, years ago, when we first started moving into prophetic ministry, probably this is probably 25 years ago, you know, I... I, I 
got this prophetic word. The Lord said, I'm calling you to be a prophet to the nations. And um, that, that happened in a private time with God. And it was about a, a year went by, and then a prophet started calling me out. I, and, you know, every place, you know, have you ever, go, you ever go through a season in your life where every place you go, someone calls you out? I mean, I could be walking down the street and someone say, uh, God told me to tell you. I'd be in the store. I mean, it was just like this season. I went through this about a year season where I keep getting this prophetic. I kept getting this prophetic word over and over. You are a prophet to the nations. And so I started thinking, okay, well, what should I do? Because um, one, the first time the Lord ever talked to me about that, I was in the bathtub. He came in. The, this is the truth. He came. It's close to the throne. It's biblical, Ezekiel 47, the water flows out from underneath the sanctuary door. And we've had that happen before. Sorry. Yeah, that was a good word till then. All stopped up and nowhere to go. Just flush that idea. I'm stimulating all the front row here. They're give me. Okay, let's move on. So, I'm at, I'm I'm praying in the in the room, and the Lord comes into the room. I've shared the story many times, and He tells me about my future. He get, He spends about a half an hour with me, and He, and he tells me all the stuff I never told anyone for a year. I didn't even tell Kathy for a year because I figured she'd say, "Well, you got that arrogant thing on you again, or whatever." So. I didn't want her to pop my bubble. But one of the things the Lord told me, he said, he, 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 I mean, we're living in Weaverville, you know. I mean, think about it. Weaverville. <laughs> what, does anything else have to be said? Weaverville. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not exactly the center of the world. It was when we lived there, Danny says, yeah. And, um, you know, we're, we're just working in, in business. And so I have this encounter with God, and He talks to me for a half an hour about my destiny. And at the end, when, as, just as He turns to leave, He stops and He turns back and He says, History will tell us if you believe me. And so I left that time with the Lord, and I started thinking, okay, well, you know what? If I'm supposed to be a prophet to the nations, which is one of the things the Lord said to me, it'd probably be good if I started, like, prophesying. I was like, you know, we've got to start somewhere. So I got up the next morning, because the Lord said, history will tell us if you believe me, which, to- which told me that I had something to do with this prophetic de- declaration. It's almost like, if you believe me, this will happen, but if you don't, it won't. Like some of this is predicated on, on me doing something. So I started getting up, that, that I started getting up in the morning and I, and I started saying, well, Lord, what should I do? And the Lord said, prophesy your day, your day. And he said, when you get really accurate with your day, I'll let you work on other people. And so I started, I started trying to learn the voice of God. And the first things the Lord taught me was, he, the first things the Lord shared with me, I mean, the prophetic words I would get would be like this. Stop at the mini-mart and clean up the garbage in front of the garbage can. That was the prophetic words he'd give me. And I, I thought, you know, I thought, well, this is crazy. I'm not going to do that because, you know, like prophets are supposed to have, you know, important things to do. And I'm not going to clean up garbage. So what would happen is I would 
you know, the Mini Mart was on our way home, well, on the way home to our house, and so, you know, I, I mean, this has really happened. I'm driving home, and I said, Lord, give me a prophetic word. Just, you know, I was like, I was really like, come on, Lord, give me a prophetic word for someone. And the Lord says, all right, I'm going to give you a prophetic word for, for someone. I said, okay. He goes, it's for you. I go, what is it? He goes, I want you to stop at the Mini Mart, and there's going to be garbage all around the garbage can, and I want you to stop and pick it all up and put it in the garbage can. Also, I'm not going to do that. Is there anyone else up there? And so I went home. Instead, of, I drove right past it and went home. And I'm sitting there at dinner, and I'll have the Holy Spirit just convicted me of sin. You know what the sin is? Not picking up the garbage she told me to pick up. So we're sitting there at dinner, and I tell my family, I've got to go, I'll be back. And Kathy's all, where are you going? I'm like, i just got to go. She's like, where are you going? I've got to go to the Mini Mart just for a minute. I've got to get something. She's like, honey, what are you getting? I probably have it. I'm like, no, you, you don't. My wife was hoping I'd get prophetic words like, pick up your socks. <laughs> and what I'm getting at, really, is that the, I, the Lord spent a year teaching me, I mean, the prophetic words I was getting were words that I was learning to obey Him. Another time, so I picked up garbage. <laughs> uh, three times I had to stop at the mini mart and pick up garbage. I think the Lord just wanted to keep telling me until I did it right away instead of going home. So... So I wake up on Saturday morning. This is during this whole season. I wake up on a Saturday morning. I'll never forget it. I wake up about 7 o'clock. I said, Lord, you know, I'm hearing like these people get these prophetic journeys. Like, like you talk to them about what's going to happen to them for the day. And so I'm praying that you'd give me a prophetic journey. And like, you know, I'm going to run into a certain person that's going to have a certain thing. And his name's going to be John. And I, I need you to talk to me about my day so I can learn and grow. He goes, okay. Here's your day. What I want you to do is I want you to get your truck and I want you to go along the highway and I want you to pick up all the garbage from Weaverville to Douglas City. And I don't want you to get anyone to help you. I want you to do it all by yourself. You know, I have three businesses. I have 40 employees. So here's Chris, you know, in this truck. I have garbage cans, and, I'm, and I'm, I spend all day Saturday picking up garbage along the road. And I, my friends are beeping and waving and pulling over, and they're like, hey, you know, why don't you get your employees to do that? And I'm like, yeah, I know. I talked to God about that. I wasn't. I mean, what do you tell people? Like, God told me to pick up garbage. And, and all I'm getting at is that I really believe that, those, that that year was really important because the Lord says, if you... You are my friend if you do what I command you to do. And the Lord took me through this season where the only prophetic words that he would give me would be stupid things to do, and I had to learn how to do what he told me to do before he would give me revelation about other people. That's a good word right there. I mean, everybody wants to like, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't know. We're, ra we're raising world changers here. One of the things that we share with our world changers, if you don't do what you can do, you'll never do what you can't do. So one of the things we teach them, like, if you go in the bathroom and the bathroom's a mess and it's still a mess when you leave, I don't know how you're going to do supernatural stuff if you won't do natural stuff. <laughs> well, it's just a good word right there. 
There, there's, you know, Jesus said, if, you, if you're not a good steward of unrighteous mammon, who will give you true riches? You know, if you're not, if you're not good with the stuff God gives you, then when is, why, would he give you, why would he give you heavenly riches if you're not good with the unrighteous mammon? Well, that's just a good word right there. I'm just cheering you all up, aren't I? So one of the things that releases revelation is that we move from this first stage of, of slavery, and how many you know we move from slavery to friendship to matrimony? And so, and, and as, we, as, we, as we move out of slavery and into friendship, the first manifestation of friendship is that we begin to get revelation. We begin to see things no one's ever seen before. We begin to have insights into into the Word. We begin to have insights into people's life. I mean, the whole door of revelation, the word revelation literally means to pull back the covers. And God begins to pull back the covers, and He begins to show us things we've never seen before. And I just want to exhort you tonight. Like, if, if you... If you um, if you struggle with, you know, yeah, if you, if you feel like you're locked out of revelation, the first thing to ask yourself is, am I, doing, am I a good slave? You know, am I a, I'm a bond slave to Christ. Am I done, have I done good at that? Do I do what Jesus tells me to do? Or do I live by my emotions? Okay, that's a good word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's turn there. Verse 2, Paul saying, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My message and my preaching were not persuasive words of wisdom, but demonstrations of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Look at this, verse 6. See, it's almost like if you just stop right there, you think Paul's saying, you know, we're all kind of stupid. You know, and the only thing that I, you know, it's like, I, I just don't know anything, and, um, and all I, I just rely on the power of God and, and the Spirit of God, and, you know, I'm basically, like, I'm basically like a fool for Christ. But look at the next verse. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak the wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Did you get that? He, what did he do? He predestined, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they have understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, everybody say things, and which, which um, ear has not heard, and which has not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those that, he love, that love him, for to us God has revealed them through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things. Everybody say things. Even the depths of God. Who among you knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man that's in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except for the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but we've received the Spirit who is from God, so that we know the... Come on, everybody say things. Freely given to us by God. Verse 13. Which things... Everybody say things. 
We also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. But, we, but he who is spiritual appraises all things. Everybody say things. Yet he himself is appraised by no one. Verse uh, 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? The rest of the verse. We have the mind of Christ. Now, we've shared this on this many times, but here's, here's the main point of the message. The Old Testament prophet prophesied this. He said, he said, Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, it hasn't entered the heart of man all the things that God has prepared for those He loves. And Paul said, Listen, those things that those Old Testament prophets didn't see, they didn't hear, and they didn't understand, those things, all the things that God wants to give His people, listen, those Old Testament prophets, they didn't see them, they didn't hear them, and they didn't perceive them. But we do. Because we have the mind of Christ. It is the Spirit of God who searches the things, the heart of God, and we have, we have not been given the Spirit of the world, but we've been given the Spirit of God. So because the Spirit of God lives in us, and we think by the Spirit of God, and we've been given the mind of Christ, we think like God. And then the, the Old Testament prophet cries out, listen, you'll see in verse 16, the words are italicized, Who has known the mind of the Lord that He would instruct them? And Paul says, we do. We have the mind of Christ. That's a good word. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Chapter 3, look at this. Verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Everybody say, stewardship of God's grace which was given to me, that by revelation there was made known to me the mysteries, as I wrote to you in brief. By referring to these, you would read that you understand my insight into the mysteries of Christ, which in other generations has not been made known to the sons of men, and has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promises that are in Christ Jesus' gospel. Verse 7, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power. Look at this. Verse 8, to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the, God, to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring the light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now, everybody say now, be made known through the church to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That's amazing, isn't it? It's, a, you've been, it's been granted to you to know the mysteries, and for you, that you, we have, the, we have this, this mind of Christ. It's called the wisdom from the age to come. Listen, we don't have the wisdom of this age. And, and the people, and people that live in the world say, well, you guys are fools. But he goes, we have a wisdom, but it's not of this age. It's the wisdom from the age to come. And he said, now, you're going to take this wisdom from the age to come, and you're going to teach. Listen to this. What's it say? You're going to teach. Let's get it right here. 
so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church. The word manifold is the word multicolored. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to rulers and authorities. Where? In heavenly places. God wants to release an anointing on His church so that the wisdom that's coming from another age would be released on us in this age. Come on. And that we would demonstrate the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God, to principalities and powers in heavenly places. You know, Song of Solomon chapter 4 verse 12 says this, My sister, my bride, is a spring locked. No, a garden lock, a spring shut up. Do you know that scientists say that we only use 20% of our brain? That's not a trick question. You only use 20% of your brain. I only use 20... You know, the struggle is, is that I can't seem to get to the other 80%. And the Song of Solomon says that the bride is a spring, a well locked up. And I have a sense that Jesus is unlocking... See, Paul, uh, Jesus said to Peter, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. He didn't say key, he said keys. And Jesus said this in John 14, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. How many of you know that you are the house of God? You are the house of God. Your living stones built up as a spiritual house. Are you following me at all? I have a sense that we've come into the front room of the house of God and there are many dwelling places, but we need keys to unlock the sister. I, I feel like God wants to release a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation so that we're operating at 100% of our inheritance and that we're not locked into 20% in a small room when we own a mansion. <laughs> I believe that... And we used to say that the soul was the mind, will, and emotions. The soul was the mind, will, and emotions. I don't believe that anymore. I believe that we're tripolar. I believe that we think from three dimensions. I believe that we think from the soul. I believe we think from the body. And I believe we think from the spirit. And I think that one of the struggles in, in uh, psychiatry is that they only recognize the soul and the body. And I believe that we're going to start getting breakthroughs throughs in the area of mental illness. Because I believe that there's, there is a whole, there's a whole realm of mental illness that is not rooted in the soul, and it's not rooted in the body, and therefore it remains untreatable. And I believe that the Lord wants to teach us how to think from three dimensions. Listen to this. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, in reference to your former manner of life, lay aside your old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with lust and deceit. Listen to this. That you may be renewed in the spirit 
of your mind. Everybody say, in the spirit of your mind. Listen, I don't know if you got that, but Paul just said that there is a dimension to your mind that is not the soul, but he said, I want you to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, which means there is another dimension to your, to your mind besides the spirit of your mind, but it also says that you don't just think from your soul, that you also think from the spirit of your mind. I want to, well, let's just finish before I, I believe this, first of all, I believe that you think from the body. I believe that you think from the body. In other words, I think that, you, that, that in this natural body, I believe... Well, let, me, let me just say simply. We know that if you put certain chemicals in your body, it changes the way you think. So isn't it true that you think one dimension of thinking comes from the natural, your, your natural physical body? Because... If they give you certain types of chemicals, it changes the way you think. How many of you know, like, uh, hormonal issues? <laughs> I'm being kind. I'm just trying to, like, make sure that we're all together. That we know that if you are, ladies, if you're missing certain hormones, we know it changes the way you think. We know that if you, if you have low blood sugar, it changes the way you think. We know that if you have low serotonin, it changes the way you think. All I'm trying to say is, is that to, to believe that your, your body doesn't affect the way you think is, is wrong. Okay? And, and let me tell you something. Your body, your, your mind, your, your natural mind, in your, your physical natural mind, are you with me? It's hard to describe when you're trying to describe three dimensions of your mind. Your physical, natural mind knows things that you're not conscious of. For instance, every day your body fights off infection and disease. It never talks. To you, it, it, it rarely talks to you about it. No, I mean every day. I mean scientists tell us that every day your white blood cells are at war. Every day, every day. And the only time that you know about it, the only time it comes to your conscious level, is when your body needs your help. You follow me? Your body needs your help to fight it off, and it sends you a message in the form of pain. And it says, hey, you know what, we've been warned down here, and we haven't been telling you about it. But you have an affection in your foot, and you insist on walking when we need you to stop... Give us a break so we can win this battle for you. You got me? What I'm getting at is that underneath the conscious level, follow me, underneath the, your, con your conscious level is a whole world that's happening. Listen, right now, your mind is controlling your heart and all of your organs. It never talks to you about it. You don't even know what's happening. It's happening, all I'm trying to get at, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, I'll show you why in just a minute. Underneath the surface, below the conscious level, there's a whole world happening that you don't even, you're not even aware of. You get that? Once in a while, your body cannot handle the war that it's fighting by itself. So it's a message pops out from the sea of your mind, and it goes, 
And you go, ow, what's that? And they go, we need your help. The soul affects the way you think. How many of you know that if you, you get your feelings hurt or you lose a loved one or you know, the list just goes on and on and on, you have something happen in your soul, how many of you know it affects the way you think? And I believe that your soul is constantly taking care of issues you're not even aware of. That little things come up all throughout life that your soul just deals with. But once in a while, when your soul can't deal with it anymore because it needs you to help it, it sends you a message. And that message oftentimes comes in little signals called depression. Called fatigue. Called anger. Called grief. You know what we typically do? We typically do something to get rid of the signal. We're like, we, we go, we don't want the signal. It's kind of like what they do to football players when a football player gets hurt and he's making $4 million for, for 16 games. What do they do? They shoot him full of Novocaine. And how many football players are talking about now, that now that they're retired? They took care of the signal their brain goes, hey, don't go back in the game. We're trying to fix your leg. And they shoot him full of Novocaine, which cuts off the signal that's coming from the deep. And the player goes back out there and plays. But there's a reason why this signal was there. I don't know if you're getting this. Often, I believe that your soul is dealing with issues all the time. You see bad news. I mean, how many of you know that we are the most over-informed people about bad, in, in the area of bad news from any generation before us? Probably we're more informed in this generation than all the generations before us. I bet you we know more bad news in one week than any single person 200 years ago knew in a lifetime. That's why Jesus said, in the last days, men's heart will grow cold. Why? Because we've, we've seen a we've seen hundred murders in a week. We've heard, about, we've heard about 50 rapes. So when somebody in our, in our circle has a situation, we go, been there, done that, and seen the video and got the t-shirt. Right? But what I'm getting at is this, is that every day... You, are, you're, you, you, you come in contact with people. And the, the world isn't clean. And your soul is like, has like white blood cells. It's just like takes care of it. Just like, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. I will be unoffended, I forgive you. And then every once in a while, something happens where your soul can no longer deal with it at the subconscious level. And it goes... Depression. And you go, well, I need some drugs. And it's like, no, you need to stop and find out why there's pain there. And what happens is we go take Prozac and keep running in the game. And it doesn't even occur to us that that was a, that was a good word. 
I'll tell you what, if you don't think that pain is a good thing, and, I'm not, and I'm, I know there's a negative side to it, obviously. If you don't think pain's a good thing, talk to somebody who can't feel. Talk to someone who has no feeling in their limbs. And you'll find out that pain, in its right context, is a good thing. <laughs> Did you get that? When we receive Christ, another dimension comes into our life, and that is the spirit of our mind. And oftentimes, I believe that the spirit, how many of you know that there, right now, everywhere you go, there's evil spirits in the world? Some people are overly sensitive to them. <laughs> They're like, I don't know, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings tonight. You're already looking like. There are people who are overly sensitive to the evil spirit realm. Um, and as far as they're concerned, it's like spirits are everywhere. And I want to tell you that I had a nervous breakdown, and for three and a half years I saw evil spirits. And let me just tell you something they're everywhere. It's the truth. It's kind of crazy. I've seen, I've seen evil spirits most of my life, but I've seen one angel. It's kind of like, that don't seem right. Whatever. That's my own issue. I'll talk to God about it myself. <laughs> and, you know, this world, the spirit world is, it, you know, is, is full of angels. It's full of demons. And, and I believe that I believe that our spirit, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And I believe that our spirit, you know, deals with those issues. And, you know, I remember when I first came to Bethel, uh, um, you know, we, we pray for people on lines, and we take all the chairs out, stack all the chairs and pray for people on lines, and we had our intercessors praying for people. This is the first year I was here. And a, and a bunch of our prayer people, prayer servants, started saying that they didn't want to pray for certain people because they got slimed. That was a code word for the demon that was on that person jumped on them and went home with them. They called them hitchhikers. And so we went through this season, when I first got here, they, we went through this season where the people who needed prayer most, nobody would touch. And one day I, I got them all together and I said, this is ridiculous, Jesus touched lepers and they got clean. And I, you know, and I said, you know what, if, you, if evil spirits are hanging on you when you get home, that's not a commentary on the person you prayed for. It's a commentary on the low-pressure situation you have going on in you. Because the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So if, you, if, those, if those Klingons are coming home with you, it's because you don't have a great enough anointing to not, not want them around. Because the Bible says that if you, res, if you submit to God and resist the devil, he's... He's runs from you, so I don't know what he's doing clinging to you. And I told him, I said, the, those people that you're touching, they're not the problem. You're the problem. You need to get more of God so that they don't hang on you. That's a good word. There's a book called Blink. Anyone ever read the book called Blink? Oh, several of you. There's a book called Blink. It's not a Christian book, but it's amazing. They did this research. Now, this guy doesn't acknowledge the spirit realm. But this is what, he, this is what the, basically the book is about. The book says 
that your mind, your subconscious mind, is more intelligent than your conscious mind and knows things that you don't know it knows. And this is, and the, the book opens with this, uh, I probably, it's been three years since I read it, but the book opens with this story about the Smithsonian um, uh, Museum buying this statue. And this man walks in, and they had this statue. This, this is a, supposed to be a, a statue that's like, you know, 2,000 years old. I don't even know the dates. It, it could have been 5,000 years old or 500 years old. I don't remember. But it was an old statue. And it was supposed to be this really rare statue. And the Smithsonian uh, Museum took this statue, and they did all these scientific tests on it. So they, they, they took it to Paris. They took it all over the place to all these experts. They ran carbon dating tests on it, and they did all these tests on it. And, and at the end of one year, the Smithsonian Museum bought this, this, um, this piece, and I think they paid, uh, I think it was like $1 million for it. This, so now they're going to have the unveiling. So what they do is, when after they bought this, this statue, you know, they researched it for a year, they bought the statue, they had the statue for a year before they purchased it, and they buy the statue, and they invite all these experts to come and view the statue, and they cover the statue up with a, you know, with a, with a cloth, and they, you know, it's going to be like this unveiling. And so they get all these experts around to you know, show off their statue, all these people who would really care, and they, and, they, uh, they, and they unveil the statue, and, there's a, and one of the experts says, well, I hope you didn't pay money for that. And they said, well, what do you mean? He said, it's a fake. And they said, well, it can't be a fake. We spent a year doing scientific studies on it. He says, I don't care what scientific study you've done on it. It's a fake. And they said, how do you know it's a fake? He said, I don't know how I know it's a fake, but it's a fake. Well, they go, well, it can't be a fake. And they end up in this, this debate. He says, listen, I don't care where you bought that statue. It's a fake. And they said, well, we have all... He said, listen, I don't care what documentation you have. It is a fake. So they question him and question him and question him. And they, he has no idea how he knows it's a fake. He just knows it's a fake. So they take it from there and they take it, I think, to someplace like France, to this woman who's an expert. They veil the, the statue. She walks in the room. They unveil the statue. And, she, and, they, and she, she says, they say, what do you think about the statue? She said, I hope you didn't pay money for it because it's a fake. And they go through the same thing with her, and they go, well, how do you know it's a fake? She goes, I don't know how I know it's a fake. There's something, there's something about the fingernails. What's, what's wrong with the fingernails? I don't know. It's a fake. I hope you didn't pay money for that, because it's a fake. There's something about that statue. It's a fake. Anyway, it goes on and on. The whole, I'm probably thrashing the story if someone just read it. But it goes something like that. Anyway, they start doing some more research because all these, these two or three experts that, that are saying this is a fake, they, can't, they have no evidence. They don't know why they know it's a fake. They, they do a bunch more research. They find out that all the documents have been forged and all the documents are fake. Anyway, the end of the story is, is that the statue is about two years old. It's a complete fake. And, the, and what they found is, one of, the, one of the things that happened is when they started doing a bunch of research, remember the expert, the lady in France, when they unveiled that the lady in France said there's something wrong with the fingernails. And what they found is, is that the statues that were painted, I mean that were sculptured in that era, didn't have fingernails. And that statue was carved with fingernails. 
She didn't know, get this, she did not know why there was something wrong with the fingernails. She just knew there was something wrong with the fingernails. And this is what they found. This, this book is amazing. You should, the, the, last, the last couple of chapters are weird. I, I didn't even read them. But. And here's what he comes to. This is the conclusion that he comes to. That you know more than you think you know, but if someone starts to question you about what you know, you will talk yourself out of what, you, what your subconscious knows. Your conscious mind will talk your, your subconscious mind out of the facts. Because your conscious mind wants facts, and your subconscious mind is intuitive. Now, this is what we would say. We would say the spirit of your mind knows things that your soul doesn't know. And your spirit is more intelligent than your soul, but when they, this is what happened. When they started to question people who knew things, that did, when they didn't have facts, when they quizzed them enough, the people talked themselves out of what they knew. And they would change their opinion, and then they would be wrong. There was a man who's a marriage counselor, and from the time he was, uh, got into marriage counseling, he said, I can tell you the day I meet, um, in fact, he did, he did pre-marriage counseling. He said, I can tell you when I meet a pre, uh, when I pre, when I meet people in pre-marriage counseling, I can tell you in 10 years if they're going to be married or not. And so they said, well, how do you know that? He said, well, I don't know how I know. I just know it. And so they said, well, that would be amazing if we could develop a test. You figure out how you know it. We'll develop this test. We'll give this test to people. And we'll tell these people, don't get married because your marriage isn't going to last. So they, so they spent all this time having this guy develop the test out of what he thinks he knows. They do the test for 10 years. The test is no more accurate than anyone's guess. And the guy is 99.9% .9 accurate when people come in his office whether the marriage is going to last for 10 years or not. But he doesn't know how he knows. What's the point? The point is, is that that thing that the world doesn't understand that's a mystery to them has been revealed to you. Follow me for a minute. You have the, you have the wisdom from the age to come that's a mystery to the world, but the Lord wants you to develop it so that you know things that you don't even know how you know it, but you can develop that because it's prophetic wisdom coming from another age. Are you with me? Yeah. And what happens is, is that if you start to ask the Holy Spirit to develop that in you, you'll begin to have intelligence and wisdom and insight from an, from an age that has yet to come, and you'll make decisions based on the spirit of your mind. Are you getting me? You're looking at me like I'm crazy, so. I believe that the Lord wants to teach the church how to think in a dimension that the world doesn't even have a dimension yet. I believe that the most brilliant people of our time are in this room. And I believe that the Lord wants to release 
the wisdom from another age on the church so that the most brilliant ideas begin to emerge from the church in a way that inventions, medical cures, all kinds of amazing stuff happens. But here's the deal, is that we have to realize that our mind thinks in three dimensions, and if we reduce our mind down to thinking in facts, then we will steal the information that the Spirit wants to give us in the spirit of our mind. That's what I believe. One of the things that keeps us from really moving in the mind of Christ is a fatalistic mentality. Uh, the, the other day, the Lord told me that He's going to give us an, um, an apostolic eschatology. He's going to give us an apostolic eschatology. You know what eschatology is? Eschatology is the study of the last days. And one of the things that happens, uh, one of the things that's happened in Christendom is that um, we have this like, um, well, we believe that the world's going to end any day. And it's a little bit difficult to live for world transformation, pray that it would be on earth as it is in heaven, and then have an eschatology that says that things need to get really bad. Are you with me? So we're looking for the world to end, and Jesus is looking for the world to be on earth as it is in heaven. And there's a fatalistic... Am, am I making any sense tonight? Dude, up. Sorry. There's two, there's two things that I think sabotage the mind of Christ besides obedience. Not being obedient. One of them is a fatalistic mentality. There's something in us that wants things... No, there's something in us that needs things to get bad. And therefore, we have this... <laughs> I don't know. We have this bipolar response when anyone gives us good news. Like, we hear about global warming and we're like, yep, signs of the times. We hear about wars and rumors of wars. Do you understand what I'm getting at? It's like, how do you learn to solve the world's problems when you have an eschatology that says things need to go to hell? Do you understand that it's sabotaging your ability to think through problems? If you think that AIDS is the judgment from God, you're not going to be on the front row praying that God would give you a cure for AIDS. Because why would you undo God's judgments? Are you following me? And all I'm getting at is that there is a fatalistic mentality that is on the church that, that causes us to see the world not as it is, but as we are. And all we go, oh, you know what? The world's getting worse and worse and worse. And everything we look at is about bad statistics. It, listen, I know, things are, I know things are bad, so you know, I don't want to ruin your newspaper. <laughs> but it never occurs to us that the life expectancy of Americans has, has gone up by 10 years in the last 20 years. It never occurs to us that, you know, you're, 
you know, disease. You know, I mean, it, it's, like, it's like if you took a list of all the things that have been cured in the last 50 years, if you thought about how much the population has grown, you know, there's more people alive on the planet today, 7 billion, than are alive in all of history before this. So we're like, oh man, the world's getting worse and worse. You never had 7 billion people on the planet all at once. I mean, I, I would just like someone to write down like the good news from the last 100 years. You live in more comfort. The poorest person in this room lives in more comfort today than a king, any king in history lived in 500 years ago. I know, you can't think like that because things need to be bad. Listen, I'm telling you, no one ever thinks like that because there's something in us that needs to see the world through a dark lens and it's just, it, it's just, we just need to repeat that things are getting worse and worse. There's just something in us that needs to, to, to look at the world as a glass that's half empty. And, it's part, and part of it, our need for it is shown in the fact that the newspapers don't report good news. And I'll tell you why. Because they're in it for the money and good news doesn't sell. People don't want to hear good news. Listen, you didn't even get that. If people wanted to hear good news, the newspaper would be full of good news because the only reason the newspaper prints bad news is because bad news sells. There is something in humanity that's fatalistic and when you're not doing good, you want to know that there's people doing a lot worse than you. There's something about reading the newspaper and going, you know, I'll feel better about my situation because everybody else sucks. And I don't want a newspaper that tells me that people are doing well because that will make me feel worse about my condition. I'm telling you, listen, you've got to get this. This is by the Spirit of the Lord right now. There is a fatalistic spirit that's over the globe that causes people to want to view the world through a negative mindset. And those negative mindsets are stealing the wisdom from another age. And they're keeping, they're keeping us thinking just like the world thinks. And God says, I don't want you to be under the circumstances. I want you to be over the circumstances. There's something about that fatalistic thing that keeps the world from dreaming. I'm telling you, this is by the Spirit. That needs to get broken off of us so that we can... You know, remember that old song, I think it was, is it Louis uh, Armstrong sang? What a Wonderful World. Who is it? Louis Armstrong. He's saying, what a wonderful world. I have it on my iPod. I mean, that isn't even my style of music, but every once in a while I just put it on, I'm like, it's a wonderful world. You can't say that in church. It's anti the way we think. Nobody tell us it's a wonderful world. We don't want to think it's a wonderful world. It's not a wonderful world. It's a dark world. 
as we lived in our air conditioning buildings and our new cars, everybody has a car with the stereo in it, with satellite radio, go home to six TVs. I have six TVs. I don't even watch TV. I just like to have them in my room so I know it's a wonderful world. I have TiVo, man. God created TiVo. Man, life is tough. It's just really tough, you know. TiVo in the games. Things are dark. There's just something in us that wants to believe that things are bad. You know what? Get, are, am I making you guys mad or just bored? Listen, every four years, whatever party isn't in power wants to tell you, it doesn't matter what the statistics say. You could have low unemployment, low inflation. You can have all the statistics right, but the, the people who aren't in power are going to tell you how bad the last people treated you. As if one guy has power to like change everything. And you know what happens? Get this. People believe it. Whatever you think about the Iraqi war, I don't really care. But I can tell you the only news you're getting is bad. You don't know the good stuff that's going on. Well, how do you know that? It doesn't sell. It doesn't sell. <laughs> okay, that's good. One more, one more thing that I want to say that keeps us from the mind of Christ, and that's a martyr spirit. There's a martyrdom spirit that believes that somehow that you need to not have fun. If you're really a Christian, then you'll live in pain. And it elevates sacrifice above passion. It has spiritualized sacrifice. You know, it's funny to me that Jesus was born as the Lamb of God, so he was born to be crucified for the world. And on the night that he's, the next morning he's getting crucified, on the night he's arrested, he's in the garden praying that this cup would be taken from him. Most of the church is praying, kill me. I'm just a sacrifice for you. Crucify me. We have whole songs like that. And Jesus is like, Father, you know what? This seemed like a really good idea when we were up there, but this doesn't seem like a very good idea down here. If there's another way to do this, I'm, I'm all for it. I vote yes. Are you following me? 
I mean, Jesus, did, Jesus died for the joy that was on the other side of the cross. For the joy set before Him. Listen to this, you've got to get this word. He endured the cross. I don't know why, but we get it mixed up like, it's like He enjoyed the cross. And there's something about us that likes, like, we, we like to glorify sacrifice. It's like, you know, oh, I worked long hours for God. I, I went to the mission field. I fasted. I, it's like, there's something about, like, like, putting our body through pain that somehow seems spiritual. I was... Um, I was at, uh, in Pennsylvania, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania this week, and um, we were doing the Voice of the Apostles or whatever. And I was kind of teasing him, and I said, um, we were talking about fasting. I said, I fast 300 days a year. I only eat 60 days a year. I only eat three hours a day. And I told him, I said, do you know that Darius, you know Darius was the king who put David, I mean, put uh, Daniel in the lion's den? And you know that the Bible says that, that Darius fasted all night? It says that, that, that Darius fasted all night, woke early, and ran to the pit where the lion's den was. I said to the people, I've done that. I fast all night. And in the morning I break fast. So I get done and, I'm, and I said, and I said, you know, if some people feel like they need to fast to break demonic powers. I said, I feast. Because Psalms 23 says, He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So when, my, when the devil's around, I try to find some place to eat a lot. So I was going, I was doing that, right? Because Jesus said, you know, they asked Jesus, why don't you, why do the Pharisees fast and John the Baptist disciples fast, but you don't fast? He said, how can they fast when the bridegroom is with them? But when the bridegroom is taken away, they'll fast. So fasting is not to break the powers of darkness, but it's to draw the presence of God. If I have it, why would I fast for it? That's just a thought. Anyway. I'm not against fasting. I just am for me. But um, I just develop a doctrine to stay in denial. That's all. No, listen, I really am not against fasting. If the Lord tells you to fast, that's great. So I get all done, and this, and this young man comes up, and, he's, and he uh, kind of looks like John the Baptist. And he says, Brother, the Lord sent me to pray for you. I said, Okay. He goes, Can I pray for you? I said, Sure, that'd be great. So he grabs my hand and he goes, Lord, I just pray that you give him an anointing to fast. Lord, just let him be able to do 40-day fast and 30-day fast and 21-day fast. And he's going through this whole thing. And, and I'm like, I don't receive this. <laughs> when he got all done, I said, you know why I don't fast? He said, why? I said, because I don't want to. He looked at me like I had called him a dirty name. Whatever. I, I'm not against fasting. I mean, like, Lou Engel's my, my hero. Totally my hero. M my point is this, is that 
if you're fasting, you're fasting because God calls you to it, not because you want to put your body through pain so you can somehow be spiritual. And all I'm getting at is that there's a martyr's complex that makes us feel like if I will put my body in pain, God will respond to me and he'll do more for me if I live in pain. You know, and if you take that out to its final conclusion, you might as well just nail yourself to a cross, drag the stupid thing around, and see if God answers more of your prayers. And what you're going to find is, is that that thing is motivated by the Judas spirit. When Judas found out that he did something wrong, he hung himself. And people run around creating their own redemption. People, see, uh, listen, I, I don't know if I'm even making sense tonight to tell you the truth. I haven't slept since 4 o'clock. I've been up since 4, but here's my point. I have a point. There is something in the body of Christ that needs to feel like a slave, values pain, discomfort, and poverty. And I, I want, I want to, I'm going to land in just a minute. But I, I want to tell you what it's costing the world. Because the Bible says, and we didn't do a very good job. I have like 20 pages on this. We read three of them. But the Bible says that you have the mind of Christ. Follow me. You're seated in heavenly places, far above all principalities, powers, and every, and every name that will ever be named, both in this age and the one to come. Follow me for a minute. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit, which one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the gift of wisdom. You have the mind of Christ, which is called the wisdom from another age. You're, you are sitting in heavenly places, which is in the timeless zone. Okay, and I could go on and on and on. Now, you tell me why the world has better ideas than we do. I can tell you why. Because my sister is locked up. It's not because you don't have the ability. It's because there's a fatalistic mentality that has locked the wisdom of the ages in the back basement and refuses to let it out because we have made, we have spiritualized being stupid. Listen, I'm telling you, this is by the word of the Lord. We have spiritualized being stupid. I'm a fool for Christ. Because Paul said, there's not many of you, not many of you were wise. Not many of you, and he goes on, he didn't say that you're not wise now, because he goes on to say that God used the foolish things to confound the wise, which means that the foolishness of, of the church is wiser than the wisest people in the... Are you with me? But we don't get the Paul's point. Paul's point is, is that you are astounding people because you weren't smart, and when you received Jesus, you became smart, and you confounded them. But somehow, we have spiritualized being stupid, being uneducated, being in pain, and being negative about the world, uh, in our worldview, and then we wonder why we don't come up with any inventions, any inventions to help anybody. It's because our eschatology and our mindset is robbing every bit of energy that we would have in creativity and in, in intelligence and in wisdom. We have siphoned off the wisdom of the ages and we have flushed it down the toilet of martyrdom and, fat and fatality. A fatalistic spirit has robbed the church.
And we flock to movies like Left Behind. Because, listen, I'm telling you, what is the most popular Christian movie in, in history? Left Behind. Most popular books. What are they about? Being fatalistic. And we don't even understand while we're being entertained, we're being drained. And who's paying for it? The world is paying for it. Listen, there are people who believe that slavery, slavery was wrong. Our forefathers didn't say, well, the world's going to hell, so whatever happens, what happens. You know, no, they fought for freedom for the black race, and they won it. Somebody said polio's wrong, and they fought for a cure, and there is no polio, almost no polio today. And you just go down the disease list. Somebody believed that the world could be different. Somebody said, it doesn't have to be this way. And what we need to do is say, there doesn't have to be AIDS in the world. There doesn't have to be. Somebody needs to get a cure for AIDS, and the church needs to stop cursing the cure. Somebody has to say, there doesn't have to be MS in the world. There doesn't have to be cancer in the world. Now, I'm not talking about supernatural actions. I'm talking about supernatural wisdom that, so that people can live in divine health and not just need healing all the time. I believe God's going to give alternative fuel sources. Where, you know, and we read the book of Revelation says that they're going to fight over oil. So we're like, ah! We don't even want to pray that there be alternative sources because it will mess up the book of Revelation. As if we even understand what that means anyway. Are you following me? Uh, are you getting this? It's like, don't, don't, don't find a cure. It's right here. We'll have to figure out a new interpretation for this. There's something in us that needs to to feel like things are going bad, things are failing, and we feed ourselves with that crap and then wonder why we don't dream with God. But there are people who... Listen, there are people that went before us who didn't think like that. Thomas Edison, you know, he wasn't a believer. But you're, you're standing under lights tonight because somebody dared to dream about something that it wasn't and he called it as though it was. I mean, this, the list just goes on and on. You're living in one of the greatest times in history. More people are getting saved today than all of history. Listen, uh, yeah, well, there's, there's gangs and there's, there's homosexuality. There was homosexuality in, 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 in Sodom. Come on. It's in the Bible. It's been there for years. There's been pornography. There's been bad stuff happening forever. I'm not saying it should, you know, you understand what I'm getting at. I, all I'm getting at is like, I know that's happening, okay? I can get all that news from everyone else. All I'm saying is, is like, can you dream with God? Can you start to think? Can you get, can you get out of that prison of fatality and martyrdom and, and self-sacrifice? And can you begin to go, I was born to be happy. I was born to solve the world's problems. I was born to dream with God. God's not in a bad mood. He's not nervous. He's not depressed. I mean, he's saying, it's a wonderful world. I believe he gave, I'm not, not, I don't know this by the word, but I bet you he gave Louis Armstrong that song, just to, just to mess with the church. We ought to incorporate that into our worship sessions just to mess with people. It's a wonderful world. We should just sing it over and over and over until it starts to deal with that fatalistic junk in our life. It's a wonderful world.
You know what? I put that on my iPod, and when Louis Armstrong singing It's a Wonderful World, there's something in me that resists it. I'm telling you, it, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's a spirit. I'm really, I'm being serious. I don't know what it is. But I leave it on, I play it over and over till it leaves me. It's a wonderful world. I can tell you, I have, I have 35 years of believing it's not a wonderful world. I need Louis to just keep singing in my mind. It's a wonderful world. It's a wonderful world. It's a wonderful world. How many know the world doesn't need a hand up? It needs a hand up. You've got to get up so you can give them a hand up. You want to run around feeling bad about the world? What do you got to give anybody? Somebody said, if you need money, don't ask for money. Ask why you need money. That's a good word. It's not a good word if I needed money right now. <laughs> Somebody once said, if you took all the money in the world and you divided it equally. He said, in five years, the poor would be poor again. The middle class would be middle class again. And the rich would be rich. Because oftentimes, everybody say oftentimes. Oftentimes, money is a manifestation of a condition that you live in internally. And when you get more than, you, whenever your environment externally gets more than the environment internally, you sabotage your own wealth. I'm just telling you, listen, I'm just trying to just make you aware, like, you know, the, the blink thing. Like, make you aware, like, something's happening underneath the surface of your mind, and some of it isn't good. Some of it isn't good. Like somebody underneath there, there's a little, like, yeah, let's, let's destroy that. Let's break that. Let's make him think bad about that. Let's, uh, and it's like self-fulfilled prophecies. We live in a self-fulfilled prophecies. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's a good word. We should just all get that CD and just play it over and over. It's a wonderful world. I don't even know the song. I'm telling you, do you know when, I bet you right now, if we were able to play that song right now, I bet you anything, it would, it would confront something in you. I bet it would confront something in you. It, let me put it this way, it confronts something in me. It confronts that thing. Okay. <laughs> Man, you made me preach long. Why don't you stand up and let's just pray. Look at that big old feather. <laughs> it makes me want to go like this, like, like the angel's going to fall out of the sky any second. Do you know that gems, I saw, oh man, I don't want to give you too much good news. You won't even know what to do with yourself. I talked to so many people, I probably talked to five people this week that, that just, just in their house, like this guy walked into his garage and right before his eyes a gem fell. Uh, it, it's a ruby, 50 carat ruby, just fell. You think God's worried? You think God's worried? You're like, oh God, he's just so depressed. It's like, why is he dropping gems on people? I mean, what good is a gym? I mean, you know, why doesn't he, you know what I'm getting at? Why doesn't he, like, drop nails or something, you know, so you can, like, use them on your wrist? Listen, why do you think God's dropping gems? What is the sign? What is it a sign of? It's a sign that God is not worried. 
He's got lots of money. He's a multi-quadrillionaire. He's got... Listen, do you get... Like, listen, it's, it's true. What's he doing? Like, gold falls, you know, gold dust, gold... We had a gold cloud in here the other day. I wasn't here. I don't know why that stuff doesn't happen when I'm here. It's like, oh, we had the best service while you were gone. I don't know how that makes you feel. Dude, that's just a good word. What is the Lord... Listen, get this. What is the Lord saying when He's dropping gems the size of 50 carat gems? And I mean, this is getting to be common. And this guy was telling me that they're dropping all over, all over the world, that people are just finding gems. They find them in their services. They fall on the ground when they're praying. I mean, I'm talking about like... I bet you I talked to 10 people this in, at, the, at the, uh, the apostle thing. I bet you I talked to 10 people that saw gems themselves appear or fall or somehow show up. And what, I mean, come on. What, that's a voice from heaven. I mean, every time a gem falls, God goes, it's a wonderful world. Maybe we're just getting so close, like heaven's just getting so close to earth that it's starting to rain when it rains in heaven. Dude, that's another good word right there. Maybe the veil's getting so thin that every once in a while something just pops through. My son-in-law, who's a pastor in Fortuna, last week, no, two weeks ago, he walked out in the, on his uh, front yard. He was taking his son to, to school early in the morning, and his neighbor was out in the front weeding in, the, in his garden, in his uh, flower bed. And so he, he waves, Hey, John, good morning. And when, when John, well, I don't, that's his name, when John turned around to say good morning, he disappeared. Right before his eyes. Happened three times in a week. Just disappeared. His neighbor just disappeared right in front of him. He said, Dad, I'm not kidding you. I was, I, I was staring right at him. He said, he's right across the street. I'm telling you, I was staring right at him and he just disappeared. And his son Micah was with him too. And he's like, no, his son stayed, but his, he, they both saw it, just disappeared. I mean, the veil's getting so thin. It's, listen, it's a wonderful world. Jesus. <laughs> Lord, I pray that you... Thinking, Lord, I pray that you would offend our minds every place where poverty, where martyrdom, and where fatality, a fatalistic spirit, lies in our minds. I pray that you would offend them this week. I pray that you would offend them over and over and over. And I pray that it would be. Um, let me stop for a minute. You know how I was talking about like uh, sometimes your body is fighting off something and then it gives, sends you pain, and then you're aware of something that's been below the surface for a long time, well, you know, what I'm trying to say is this thing I'm praying about right now, it lies below your, this, the spirit of your mind. It lies, it lies in the spirit of your mind, but it's below the conscious level. And so I want to pray that the Lord would, would, he would, uh, he would offend it so that it would come to your conscious, mi your conscious mind so that you could uproot it. Would you agree with that? 
Okay, so, so I'm going to finish my prayer. I just wanted you to know what I was praying. So I wasn't praying that you would be offended. I'm just praying that the Lord would make you aware that that thing is there so you can deal with it. So Lord, I pray that you would offend that thing in our spirits, that poverty thing, that fatalistic thing, and that, and that, and that martyrdom thing, that you, would, that you would poke it with a stick so that it couldn't sleep in our basement anymore. So that we would go down there and not make friends with it. We don't want to have fellowship with the angel of light. We want to kill it. You said destroy the works of the devil. And Lord, I pray that that thing would be destroyed in the basement of our spirit man so that we could be untethered from darkness and released into the light of God. And so that truly, that in this generation, that that word that you gave to Paul would be fulfilled, that we would teach the manifold wisdom of God to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Amen. Thank you very much. Danny.